Ephesians 5, 15 to 20, New Living Translation. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Beth Humphreys, for reading the scripture for us this morning. Thanks, Norb, for uh, blessing our grads. And uh, good morning, everybody. Last Sunday of June, you can feel it in the air. Summer is here. Our teachers are excited that it's over, as are our students. Um, Oh, and yesterday, yesterday. Uh, Yesterday was the run for life for uh, H2O, raising funds for uh, bringing clean water to South Ethiopia. And the run was out in Sherwood Park. Awesome time. I don't know if Kara, Kara, are you here? She's upstairs. Leanne is here, Dabosky. Kara, Marquine, Leanne Dabosky, and Christine, uh, sister to Kara. Uh, I don't know if you know the total, but it was 57000 yesterday. It went over to $60,000, so let's give them a big hand. And we have a pretty famous runner among us. I don't know if she's here this morning. Uh, Mel Schmaus, she took the gold again. Is she there? Where is she? Oh, let's have her stand. I love to embarrass Mel, but you watch for her in the news one of these days. She ran 44 and a half minutes for 10K. Well, that's amazing. So uh, she just beat me by half a second. (laughs) I wish. Well, our theme uh, for just a brief mini-series... Oh, and by the way, Debbie Yeboah is here this morning. Debbie Stan. Debbie has been in Montreal for a year. And uh, she's studying at McGill home to do some uh, summer work with Athletes in Action. So good to see you. Um, Our theme for just a brief mini-series concluding today has been the Father's Heart. And basically our question is, a simple question, what is the purpose of prayer? New York uh, columnist David Leonhardt said, we all need to take a regular Schultz hour. And he explains, when George Schultz was Secretary of State in the 1980s, he used to carve out one, week each, one hour each week for quiet reflection. And he would sit down in his office with a pad of paper and a pen in hand, close the door, told his secretary, don't let anybody disturb me unless it's my wife or the president. And uh, he turns uh, 96 this year, 
He claims that his hour of solitude was the only time that he could find to think about the strategic aspects of his job. Otherwise, he'd be constantly pulled by the mundane, by the regular things of life, and he would never get to the big picture. Well, our wonderful technological age is uh, so good and yet so challenging in many ways that we can barely escape these devices. Our, our smartphones, our computers, just before I walked up here, my watch said it's going to die very quickly. So it needs to be plugged in. So let me know when it's time for me to go over to Southwest in case I just keep going. But you know, we can even read our email from their smartwatches. It's, it's so difficult to get entangled from the pace. Enter prayer. Prayer is a wonderful time to detach from the hecticity of our crazy lives that we engage in daily. I mean, it's the Schultz hour, not just once a week, but regularly, day after day after day after day. It's a time to catch some refreshing, some renewal, some perspective. What a wonderful gift to us, the gift of prayer. What's the purpose of prayer? That's been our question for three weeks. First of all, prayer is a relationship. Tuesday, I was reading and journaling from John chapter 8, and Jesus is having to be very strong with his Jewish listeners because they failed to understand who Jesus was. They said, our father is Abraham. Therefore, God is our father. But Jesus said, if God was your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. If you know the father, well, then you would know me too and the validity of who I am. And then the Lord reminded me of this tremendous privilege we have of knowing the father. We can know the Father. We can know the Son. And we have the Holy Spirit, like we sang this morning, abiding within us. So these words began to flow out from my pen on Tuesday from the Father. Celebrate your relationship with my Son, Jesus. He is who He claims to be. He is God. He is my Son. He has come to this earth. And you can know Him. And that's why Jesus said to pray. Just, just start praying. And you can start it off by saying, Father, Father. So prayer is a relationship with the Father. It's keeping company with God. And I include worship in that category. It's our relationship with Him that brings us to worship Him and to praise Him and to confess our sins and to express gratitude. So prayer is a relationship. Secondly, it's a partnership. If you want to be involved in kingdom ministry... You sure can be. We're given the high privilege of partnering with God in his kingdom work on this earth. He will keep your heart fulfilled and challenged for the rest of your life if you say, God, I want to partner with you. If you whisper to him, I want to be part of what you're doing in this world, uh, he, will, he will bless your heart. He will fulfill you. He will give you purpose and significance for all the days of your life. I'm reading John these days in my quiet moments, and I came to John chapter 9, verse 4, where Jesus said, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. And it was a reminder of the urgency under which Jesus lived to do the Father's work. But never in a hurry. I mean, Jesus was busy, right? But he was never in a hurry. 
And he says, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us. I'm just fascinated by the partnership that he offers to us. He has so honored us by allowing us to be part of what he's doing in the world. He calls us to lead with him. Come on up. Come on up and take your place in leadership. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the former presidents of the United States who really impresses me is Jimmy Carter. I have a book uh, uh, that I think Tina gave me some uh, years ago on the story of Jimmy Carter. He made a few miscalculations in his presidency. Things could have gone for him or things could have gone against him, and they went against him, as you know. But he handled the humility of losing an election so wonderfully. But it's what he did next that is so, so much a blessing to so many people. Once the, mo one, the most powerful person in the world, he made a decision when he didn't get back into the presidency that he wouldn't spend the rest of his life playing golf, nothing wrong with golf, and, and that he wouldn't do the talk show circuit. And he devoted his retirement to such causes as helping the poor in Africa and building houses for Habitat for Humanity. He saw his life, and he still does, as a partnership with his father. So prayer is a partnership. Thirdly, prayer is alignment. Prayer is alignment. Prayer is an awesome time to allow God to adjust us and our understanding. Does prayer change God or does prayer change us? Well, always it changes us, to be sure. It's a prayer in prayer that we get a fresh perspective. Uh, and, and when we slow down the RPMs in our lives, we just give God the opportunity to speak into who we are and adjust our thoughts and tweak our attitudes and, and give us direction. Fourthly, Prayer resources us for living. We can ask, we can seek, we can knock. We have a father who invites us to bring our needs before him. Henry Nouwen, the Catholic scholar who spent many years ministering to those with physical limitations in the large community in Toronto, made a powerful statement. I think first to know that, that, uh, that he found it challenging to spend time with God comforting to know that, that others do too, that it's not just like, we've got this, that there's always a challenge to this. But listen to what he says. Sitting in the presence of God for one hour each morning, day after day, week after week, and month after month, in total confusion with a myriad of distractions, radically changes my life. I've learned humility and dependence and come to understand that a small, gentle voice has indeed been speaking all the while. Uh, so prayer, prayer makes us wrestle with God. Prayer brings us into a relationship where we examine uh, how, he's, how he's working in our hearts and lives. And, you know, Abraham and Moses and Jacob and so many other biblical characters wrestled with God. Simon Wheel once wrote, Isn't it the greatest possible disaster when you're wrestling with God not to be beaten? We have to think about that for a moment. 
We never want to win against God. <laughs> God, I'm doing it this way regardless of what you say. What a tragic way to win, but really to lose. What looks like a win is a loss. Now, to put it another way, what feels like a defeat at the same time may emerge as a great victory. So when you think like, oh, this is awful what's happening to me, it may emerge as a great victory one day if you, if you take the high road through it. Jacob, the cheat, walked arrogantly on two good legs. And remember then God and Jacob had this wrestling match? And God won the wrestling match? And Jacob, who came to be called Israel, limped into history as the father of nations. So prayer resources us for living. And then prayer is where we learn to hear God and trust him. I never said it was easy, but we're intentional in prayer. We begin to learn the heart of God. We begin to trust him more. The great English preacher Leslie Weatherhood put it this way. He said, I've always found prayer difficult. So often it seems like a fruitless game of hide and seek in which we seek and God hides. I know God's very patient with me. With no other friend would I go on seeking. Yet I cannot leave prayer alone for long. My need drives me to him. And I feel, have a feeling that he has his own reasons for hiding himself. And that finally my seeking will prove infinitely worthwhile. I long for more satisfaction. But I cannot cease from searching. I love the story of Philip Yancey. He recounts how he started to learn how to be a runner. He said, uh, I met a young man named Peter Jenkins at a writer's conference. As he was working on his book, A Walk Across America. Some of you remember that? Slater became a national bestseller. And as he recounted some of his adventures on a long walk across the country, he said, I get so tired of these reporters flying down from New York City, renting a car, then driving out to meet me. They hit the electric window button of their air-conditioned car, lean out with a microphone and ask, so Peter, what's it like to walk across America? I'd like a reporter to walk with me for a while. Yancey said, without thinking, I volunteered. Then Yancey remembered, this is Texas in July, and he would be carrying a 60-pound uh, pack on his back. Have you been following the news these days in Phoenix and Palm Springs and some of those temperatures are soaring up to near 50 degrees Celsius these days? Now, that would make you think twice about walking or running. Even Mel would have a tough time with that. So. He thought he better get in shape, and he bought some cheap running shoes, and he sprinted down the driveway expecting to run a few miles. At the end of the block, he said, I pulled up, gasping and wheezing with an abrupt lesson in physical fitness. He said, I ran as far as I could that day, one block, then walked a block, ran another block, and limped home humiliated. The next day, I ran two blocks. 
keep walking, kept walking, and then he ran some more. He said, within six weeks, I was running seven miles without stopping. He said, by preparing to carry out a journalistic assignment, he got himself into an exercise regime that lasts to this day. He is so used to it that now if he has to skip a few days because of injury or illness, he gets a little edgy, gets a little restless because it's in his blood. It just has become part of his life. He said, I learned early on never to ask myself, do you feel like running today? He said, I just do it. Why? Well, there are a whole list of benefits to that regular exercise. He said, and I just do it. And as with exercise, there are a whole bunch of benefits to prayer. But they come as a result of consistency. The simple act of just showing up day after day after day. The writer, Nancy Mayers, said she attends church in the same spirit. I thought this was interesting. In which a writer goes to her desk every morning so that if an idea comes along, she'll be there to receive it. So, true, you came to church this morning. Might have been busy, might have been hectic, might not have been thinking about anything else but just getting here. But even now, you just open your heart and say, Lord, if there's a nugget, if there's just something that I just need to hear today, wherever it is in the context of this morning, God will give you something. He'll give you an idea. He'll give you a thought. He'll give you a nudge. So just ask him, Lord, what is it that you want me to hear this morning? What do I need to take with me into my life and my everyday living? And as we approach prayer the same way, many days I would be hard-pressed to describe a direct benefit. I keep on, though, whether it feels like I'm profiting or not. I show up in hopes of getting to know God a little bit better and perhaps hearing from God in ways accessible only through quiet and, and solitude. So you can come to know the heart of God when you just keep showing up. Just be faithful, and the whispers will become more clear to you. Prayer is the place where we learn to recognize the whispers. That God is teaching us and training us. And so as you're quiet before him, just listen for the whispers. They'll become more clear and clear as the days go by. We know the story of David and Goliath very well. David was amazing. He was so courageous. He was so ready to take on Goliath. Why? Because in the quietness of the pastures, in the loneliness of caring for sheep, God was teaching David. And God gave him the experiences of overcoming the lion and the bear. So when he confronted Goliath, David had the background. David had the necessary faith, grown in times of need and crisis with God, to go against the giant when no one else would. But where did he learn it? He learned it in prayer. He learned it as he heard the whispers of God, as he spoke to God and he heard God speaking to him. God taught him. God showed him how to trust God showed him how to lean upon him. And when we build this time into our lives very intentionally, we see how God is training us and helping us to know his heart for not only today, but for what God has for us tomorrow. 
And one way in which we learn to trust God more is by tying our needs to prayer and discovering that in the midst of the needs that we have, that he's a very good father. He's a good, good father. And learning to hear his voice. We've now offered the Hearing God Seminar six times with over 80 people having gone through this tremendous six weeks experience. But what we're reminded of through all of those sessions is that prayer is not just one way. It's a two-way. It's a two-way conversation. And we're experiencing God in refreshing ways through listening conversation in ways that we had not experienced before. For some, journaling has become so pivotal in listening to God. Well, this we know, that God wants to speak to his children. God is not distant. God doesn't want to be removed from us, but he nudges us and he whispers to us. And, and as we show up, God meets us and pours into our lives. We all have to figure out how to show up with God. And as life changes, my prayer practice will no doubt change with it. Uh, a person battling chronic illness will have to figure out how to do this. Because it's different how to show up. Taking a missions trip. Getting married. Managing a household full of kids. Giving care to an aging parent. Every major life change will have its effect on prayer. We all have to learn how to adjust and to show up. It may change for us. But what's important is that we don't stop showing up. Ben Patterson is a Presbyterian pastor. I've enjoyed some of the things that he's written through the years. He tells of a time when he ruptured a disc and the, the doctor prescribed six weeks of total red, uh, bed rest. Heavily medicated and lying flat on his back, he found that he couldn't even read. He just couldn't focus. It was during that time that he learned an important lesson about prayer. He said, I was helpless. He said, I was also terrified. He said, how am, I, how am I going to take care of my family? And he was the only pastor in the church uh, in which he was serving. He said, I couldn't do anything for the church. So out of sheer desperation, I decided to pray for the church. I opened the church directory and prayed for each member of the congregation daily. He said, it took nearly two hours. But since there was nothing else I could do for the church, I figured I might as well pray for it. It was not piety, he said, that made me do it. It was boredom and frustration. He said, but over the weeks, the prayer time, times grew sweet and precious as he interceded. And he said, one day near the end of my convalescence, I was praying. He said, and I told the Lord, you know, Lord, it's been wonderful, these prolonged times that we've had together. It's too bad I don't have time to do this when I'm well. And God's answer came swift and blunt. He said to me, Ben, you have just as much time when you're well as when you're sick. It's the same 24 hours in either case. The trouble with you is when you're well, you think you're in charge. And when you're sick, you know you're not. Oh, the Lord has many things that he wants to teach us through prayer. And above all, he wants us to show up. He wants us to learn his heart. He wants us to learn to trust. He wants us to learn to grow in our faith and confidence and learn to hear the whispers. 
Prayer is where we learn to hear God and trust Him. Then the sixth purpose of prayer is empowerment. Empowerment. If you turn with me to the section that was read, Ephesians 5, 17 and following, it says, Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a prayer that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. It applies to all Christians, not just the select few. And the verb in the present tense, translated, means keep on being filled. So it's an experience that we should enjoy constantly and just not on a few special occasions in our lifetime. And the verb is passive. We do not fill ourselves, but we permit the Spirit to fill us. The verb fill could probably be better understood by thinking in terms of being controlled as opposed to filling a container that is empty, although I understand that makes sense too. But to be filled with the Spirit means to be constantly controlled by the Spirit in our mind, in our emotions, in our will, in all that we are. And what is the gateway to the filling of the Spirit? How does it happen? Uh, look at what Paul says. I've missed this for years. It happens that as we're singing psalms, it happens as we're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It happens when you're making music to the Lord in your hearts. It happens when you give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why does Jesus want us to be filled with the Spirit? Well, simply so we can be who God designed us to be. He wants us to exchange an old life for a new life. And he wants to, to, to control the new life. And he wants the Holy Spirit to control the new life in us and live it out through us. And then there's another reason our Lord wants us to take his presence into our living and ministering. The Lord wants us to take his presence into our living and ministering. The world desperately needs to see the result of our filling. It's not enough that we're just filled with the Holy Spirit and we keep that all to ourselves. It's our experience of God translated into language and actions that makes a difference in the world. It's very much the same as what Jesus experienced in his earthly ministry in Acts 10, 38. And it says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then look at, Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So what God does in our hearts to refresh us and fill us and renew us he wants to empower us so that we take his life and his joy and his strength into the marketplace of life. In other words, you're blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing. And as you may know, the early church ran into fierce opposition after the day of Pentecost. 
The Holy Spirit was poured out, but immediately this little band of Christ followers were threatened by the authorities of the day. And they put Peter and John in prison, and they finally released them, but in the, before they did, they tried to scare the wits out of them so that they would never preach the name of Jesus again. And when they were released, these Peter and John, they, they, they uh, connected again with the other disciples, and uh, they prayed, and they prayed, and what did they pray? They asked the Lord for a holy boldness. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Now, isn't it strange that the group prayed for boldness? We might have asked, they might have asked God to help them find protection, uh, a safe place against the religious leaders of the day. They might have been saying, Lord, help us to effectively lie low until the heat goes away. We'll just stay out of sight, and if you could just make the Sanhedrin sort of forget about us. Not at all. They asked God to help them press on. They prayed for boldness. Lord, fill us up with boldness. Give us your boldness. And how did God react? After the prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the Word of God with boldness. They were taking their experience of being with God to the place where people live and work. And that's the importance of prayer, to be filled with His presence, but to take God's presence to wherever we are, in the universities, in the schools, in the marketplace, into uh, our vacations, into our summer uh, life, into our decision-making, into all of life, to take God with us. In the familiar story of David and Goliath, there's this wonderful moment uh, when the giant gets irked. Do you remember at the sight of this, his young opponent? He's insulted that they send this little kid out. He said, come here and I'll, I'll, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Does David flinch? No, not for a moment. As the, the Philistines move closer to attack him, David, it says, ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Isn't that a great picture? Running toward the challenge of the day. Running with the presence of God to make a difference in the world. And with what? A sling and five stones? It doesn't matter. It's not all about our great resources. It's about Jesus. It's about his presence. It's about him working through us. So Paul says, now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Empowerment. We take his presence into the world. Some of you have done some reading on Dallas Willard. By the way, he's, he's worth taking on vacation this summer. Take one of his books along. At the beach. Oh, you'll love it. My battery is just squawking at me here, saying, you're done. Anyway, the story is told, a uh, true story. At the end of a, of a class, Dallas was teaching. And there was a student who was feeling uh, quite arrogant and antagonistic. And he raised his hand and he mentioned a disagreement that he had with Dallas. Uh, Dallas, well-known prof, theology, philosophy. 
And the question was both obnoxious and wrong. Another student was in the class and he said, I was just waiting for Dallas to demolish the guy, which he could easily have done. So this student was waiting for Dallas to lower the boom. And Dallas says, well, I think that's about it for our, our class today. Let's just stop there and we'll pick it up next time. Another student asked him right after class, why did you do that? You, you had him. You could have let him have it. Why didn't you let him have it? Dallas' response was, I'm practicing the discipline of not having the last word. Not having the last word. There are times, not always, but times when to be empowered by the Spirit and take the presence of Jesus into the world is to not have to win, not have to have the last word, not to enter into a relationship or, or, or war of words that in the end isn't worth it, nor does it honor Christ. We are empowered in prayer for the purpose of taking the presence of Jesus into a broken and hurting world. I love the story of Jim Zimbala, pastor of Metropolitan Tabernacle in New York City. This is a few years ago after Easter. He said, uh, all the Easter services, he said he was spent. He's just exhausted. Uh, and so it was the very last. The, the, everybody had pretty much gone home. The choir was still there and the prayer teams were still operating. He said, I was tired and exhausted, sat down on the staircase that kind of went up to the platform he said, as the prayer teams were finishing up, a man, he said, I could just tell, he was waiting to talk to me. And he looked at him and said, I know what he wants. He wants money. And so he just said, ah, oh, I'm so tired. He's just ready to give him some money without even him asking for it. And the homeless man said, I don't want your money. I'm going to die out there. I want that Jesus the lady shared about in the service. And Jim said, Oh, God, forgive me for jumping to conclusions. I'm so tired. And that man came and he hugged Jim, burying his, uh, burying his grimy head against my white shirt and tie. He said, And holding him close, I talked to him about Jesus' love. And these aren't just words, he said. I, I really felt them. I, I began to feel love for this pitiful young man. And that smell. He said, I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it. It almost made me sick. But now it became the most beautiful fragrance to me. I reveled in what had been repulsive just a moment ago. And the Lord seemed to say to me, Jim, if you have any purpose in my work, it has to do with this odor. This is the smell of the world I died for. Taking the presence of Jesus into our world. That's the purpose of prayer. So prayer is a relationship. Prayer is a partnership. Prayer is an alignment. Prayer is a resource. Prayer is learning and trusting, and prayer is empowerment. Let's stand together. Dear Lord, thank you for the gift of prayer. It's wonderful. It is a life-changing gift for all of us. So help us to show up 
and experience the growth and the changes that you bring to us, Lord. We want to partner with you at TCC to be part of all that you're doing. And we want to get to recognize the whispers of the Holy Spirit more consistently. But Lord, we want to take your work to a, to a hurting world. So help us to, to feel your heart beat and to walk with you faithfully as we walk with you into the future. In Jesus' name.